Kids may go to wherever they go. So. Today, as we continue in the series on John, I'm reading from John chapter 14, verses 15 through 24, and chapter 15, verses 9 through 15. So starting with John 14, 15. If you love me, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you will also live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, But Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not the world? And Jesus replied, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. All this I have spoken while with you. And then going to chapter 15, verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be full. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love hath no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants, because a servant does not know what his master's business is. Instead, I have called you friends, for everything I have learned from my Father, I have made known to you. Jesus is preparing his disciples for his death and for his exiting this world physically. And he tells them something that must have astonished them. He says, in essence, I'm leaving, but you will not lose me. I will be with you through the Holy Spirit, who I'm going to send to you after I leave this world. You will not be left as orphans. You will not be abandoned. When the Holy Spirit comes, you get me as part of the package deal. I will come with him. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. It is the main work of the Holy Spirit to make Jesus known in the hearts of all believers, to make his love real to us. The truest mark of the spirit-filled life is not signs or wonders or miracles or tongues. The truest mark of the spirit-filled life is an ever-deepening consciousness of the reality of Jesus Christ. That is the spirit's main work. In fact, Jesus is saying, through the Spirit, you will know me more richly, more deeply, more truly than you know me now as I stand in front of you. I won't just be with you then. I will be inside you. We will be one the way my Father and I are one. When the Spirit comes on that day, you will really know that I am in my Father and you are in me and I am in you. 
Once we understand what this really means, we realize we don't have to demonstrate how much we can do for God, but what God can do through us. Many Christians are in some sense exhausting themselves or guilt-ridden trying to perform for God, but God doesn't want our feeble efforts. He wants to live his life through us. He wants to love the world through us. He wants to fill us as so full with his love that obedience to his commands and teachings will come naturally to us. Naturally. If you love me, Jesus said, keep my commandments. Not because you have to, but because you want to. Obedience is not difficult to those who are filled with love for the one they are being obedient to. I want to amplify on this. The Bible tells us as Christians that we are not only forgiven for our sins, but we can rise above our sins. Not perfectly, not entirely. Like it says in John, chapter, the epistle of John number one, he says, if anyone says they have no sin, there's a, they are a liar and the truth isn't in them. But essentially, I can be, in my own imperfect way, the person God wants me to be. I can be made holy and live like it. I can be obedient. It's not some impossible task. Just because I can't per be perfect doesn't mean I can't be obedient. I can be unselfish. I can rise above the gravity of sin and self and ego. I am already changed by the Spirit. I am being changed by the Spirit. At the heart of every fairy tale, there's this universal hope. We can be transformed. It's a longing that comes through all kinds of literature, and people don't know where that longing comes from. Frogs can become princes. Not the ones that you lick like I talked about last week, but frogs can become princes. And ugly ducklings can become swans. And wooden puppets can become real boys. There's this universal hope that we can rise above ourselves and become noble human beings. We can be delivered from the evil domination of this world and our own sin nature. We don't have to stay stuck in our sin and self-destructive habits and addictions and bitterness all our lives. We can rise. We can change. That, my friends, is the definition. This is for you, John Hallbecker. That, my friends, is the definition of holiness. Holiness is becoming like Jesus. It's becoming like God in spirit and character in our hearts. It's not just copying Jesus. It's releasing him into our lives and letting him do the heavy lifting. Hallelujah. That's why the spirit was sent. You know, you, you really want to know what God is like? Well, the first model is you look at Jesus. But if you really want to know what Jesus is like in greater detail besides the Gospels, it tells us what the Spirit is going to impart in us. And there's two lists I want to go through. One is the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 6, and the other is in 1 Corinthians 13. What is God like according to the list of the fruit of the Spirit? God is loving, even towards his enemies. God is at peace, even when things go wrong. He never panics. God is the most joyful person in the universe, despite the fact that he is always responsive to our pain and sorrow. He is kind, 
even to people who reject him. The sun shines on the just and the unjust every day. God is humble. Aren't you glad God is humble? He never forces himself on anyone, even though he easily could. God is good. He is good all the time. In fact, as Walter Rauschenbusch writes, God's holiness is goodness set on fire. I love that. Goodness set on fire. Write that down, John. (laughs) God is self-controlled. He never does anything rashly. He never loses his temper. He never freaks out on us. He is the most dependable person in the universe. Or in his description in 1 Corinthians 13, God's nature is patient. Aren't you glad God's patient with us? And kind. He's not easily irritated. He always wishes the best for others. He doesn't have a selfish bone in his body. Holiness, you see, is love with direction. It is love that never cheats or lies or steals or covets. There is nothing, absolutely nothing, twisted or dark or perverse about God. He cares about the poor. He cares about the lost. He cares about the widows and orphans. He seeks justice as well as personal righteousness. As Richard Foster said, holiness is being responsible. And he broke that word up. It's being response-able. Able to respond appropriately to the demands of life lived in love. Holiness is the right thing to do when somebody's yelling at you. What would Jesus do? It is the appropriate response when you are tempted. How did Jesus resist temptation? It is how you deal with a seductive world or, or a part of you that wants to be selfish. Holiness is how love acts in any given situation. Holiness is reproducing the life and desires and habits of Jesus in us by his spirit and power and word living through us and going into the world. Holiness is the most beautiful thing in the universe because God is the most beautiful person in the universe. My friends, if you understand holiness, you will want it for yourself with all your heart. This is Roxbury, John. I need to get down there. (laughs) It's what changes ugly ducklings into swans, frogs into princes, and stone hard hearts into soft, warm flesh, as Ezekiel said. But unfortunately, a lot of people do not understand what real holiness is, especially and sometimes holiness people. Some people have never known true holiness because they have confused it with legalism. You see, legalism focuses on rules, not relationship. We are not changed because we keep the rules. We are changed because the love of God reaches into our hearts and changes us. And after that, obedience comes naturally. That's why Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. You cannot reverse that. He said, he didn't say, if you keep my commandments, you will love me. He said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. My relationship with Jesus and his life in me changes me. And if that is not for the reason of change, then nothing else matters. Remember 1 Corinthians 13 when Paul said, you know, if I preach with the tongue and men of, and of angels... If it is not in love, doesn't matter. If I give every cent I have to the poor, if it's not in love, forget it. 
Even if I give my body to be burned, if I don't give it in love, it's a waste of time. You see, in, with the Lord, why I do something is just as important as what I do. That is imp- your motives. That's why Jesus said, Obedience flows from love, not love from obedience. The Pharisees thought that. They thought that love flowed from obedience. Jesus said, no, you got it backwards. Love flows from the heart that leads to obedience. God's incredible love needs to be the only source of growth and obedience in my life. It's not the other way around. Or let me put it this way. When Jesus said, Jesus didn't say, if you feel guilty enough... Keep my commandments. If you feel scared enough of God, keep my commandments. If you're just playing church so your parents or your friends won't get on your case, keep my commandments. Only love works. Love enhances us, not conformity to rules. The next problem, by the way, with with false holiness or legalism is that it focuses on external lists of do's and don'ts rather than the internal life of the heart. Real holiness comes from the heart. It focuses on transformation from the center out. Obedience is the result of what's inside of us, the Holy Spirit reproducing the life of Jesus in us. It is out of our hearts that obedience must flow. This doesn't, you know, diminish the word of God in any way or the commands in any way. But what I am saying is that obeying God and obeying the commands of Jesus, these things are effects rather than causes. As Richard Foster wrote, action follows essence. It is our essence that God wants to get at, our soul he wants to get at. You can do the right thing for the wrong reason. But God wants your heart. And if he has that, obedience will follow. Now, Jesus says something really profound here. I'd never seen it till I got into the scripture this week. Jesus says in chapter 15, verse 9, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Here's the part I missed. Now remain in my love. How do you keep the flames of Christ's love burning inside of us? What is our part in remaining in his love? It starts with belief. By believing that God the Father is as good as Jesus says he is. By believing Jesus' love comes from the Father and is given to us directly by the Spirit. By believing that Jesus loves us as absolutely as the Father loves his own Son, Christ invites us to come to him. And the way he is approached is exactly the way now when we are in him, he approached his own daddy. Remember when Jesus taught us to pray? I love this. I found found something in Max Licato that I thought was, was wonderful. He says, Jesus taught us to begin our prayers by saying, Our Father, which art in heaven. More specifically, our Abba, which is in heaven. Abba is an intimate, tender, folksy, pedestrian term, the warmest of Aramaic words for Father. Formality stripped away. Proximity promised. 
Jesus invites us to approach God the way a child approaches his or her daddy. And how do children approach their daddies? Lucado said, I went to school and decided to watch what happens when school is out at an elementary school. And he said, when one father came up, the kid went, yippee. Another kid went, ice cream, apparently referring to a promise made earlier. Another went, pop, over here, push me, yelled by a boy wearing a Boston Red Sox cap and who had been misguided, and he wanted to be put on the swings. That was for Linda. <laughs> Requests like, Daddy, can Tommy come home with me? His mom is on a business trip, and he doesn't want to hang out with his big sister. He said, I heard questions like, are we going home? And I heard excitement, Daddy, look at what I did. He said, here's what I didn't hear. Father, it is most gracious of thee to drive thy car to my place of education and provide me with domestic transportation. Please know of my deep gratitude of your benevolence, for thou art splendid in thy attentive care and diligent in thy dedication. He said, I didn't hear that when kids were talking to their daddies. I didn't hear formality or impressive vocabulary. I heard kids who were happy to see their dads and eager to speak. God invites us to approach him in the same manner. What a relief. Didn't Jesus say, you are, unless you are converted and become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Become as little children. Carefree, joy-filled, playful, trusting, curious, excited. Forget greatness, seek littleness. Trust more, strut less, Makes lot, make lots of requests and accept all the gifts. Come to God the way a child comes to daddy. Daddy, the term takes aim at our pride. It humbles us. It invites us to throw ourselves with reckless abandon at God. And here's the good news. Just as a happy child cannot mishug their daddy or mom for that matter, the sincere heart cannot mispray. Heaven knows life has enough uh, burdens without the burden of praying correctly. If prayer depends on how I pray, I'm sunk. But if the power of prayer depends on the one who hears the prayer, and if the one who hears the prayer is the one I call daddy, then I have hope. Prayer really is that simple. Resist the urge to complicate it. Don't take pride in well-crafted prayers. Don't apologize for incoherent prayers. No games, no cover-ups. Just be honest, honest to God. Climb into his lap. Tell him everything that is on your heart or tell him nothing at all. Just lift your heart to heaven and say, Daddy, because sometimes that's all you can do. Sometimes things hurt too much or are too overwhelming to even put in words. Steve Brown said that he heard a testimony. There's a woman, he said, she grew up an atheist and had never been to church, except for one time when she toured a cathedral in Europe. She had never read the Bible and never even prayed a child's prayer like, now I lay me down to sleep. She was in her 30s when her daughter was hit by an automobile and left in a coma. She went to the attending physician and asked, what is the prognosis? 
He said, it's not good. She could remain in a coma for years or she could die tomorrow. It's just not very good and we don't know what's going to happen. The woman said she walked across the street to a bar, got plastered, and got into her car and drove home. Miraculously, she made it home. It was raining, and she could see the raindrops being wiped away by the windshield wiper. And then she drove straight into her driveway. She turned the engine off, and she began to curse God. And she said, I'll tell you something. I knew how to curse. And then she said, after about a half hour of cussing out God and spewing out all this venom, she was totally spent sitting there in her driveway in her car, and there was silence, mainly because of her exhaustion. And in the silence, she heard a voice. And the voice said, that was the first time you ever spoke to me. And it said, I'm so glad you did, and I love you. Unknown to her, she had prayed the first prayer in her life. And to her shock, God had answered back. And in that moment, her life turned around forever. You see, if you want to keep living in the love of God, how do you remain in the love of God? Pray what is in you, not what you wish was in you. Pray your sins. And not only pray your sins, pray how much you enjoy them. Pray how, why they have power over you. Pray why they're addictive. Pray your doubts. Pray your anger. Just like this woman, sometimes we just... Some of us are going to have a breakthrough with God. We need to blow out our pipes and tell God exactly why we're mad at him. You know, almost every atheist I've ever met or agnostic I've ever met is somebody who is angry at God because somebody who was a Christian treated them bad. And instead of declaring atheism, declare your anger. Get it out there and be honest about it. Pray. Because... These things keep us from experiencing God's love. You know, it's what we keep hidden that keeps God at arm's length. It's what we withhold that keeps God distant. What we think God ha can't handle is precisely what we need to give to God. I got news for you. He is not insecure did you, did, did you hear the list I read? He's not easily irritated. He's paid. Remember, you can tell him anything. He can handle it all. Pray to God what you really are and what you really want. And then listen. Open up wordlessly your innermost being to him. Give him a chance. Don't just yell at him and then turn on the radio. And when you see he loves you anyway, absolutely, completely as you are. You will fall in love with him. And here's the key part to remaining. It's our job to keep placing ourselves in his presence and falling in love again and again and again. Remaining in love is an ongoing process. And guess what? After that, 
obedience comes. In legalistic false holiness, there's very little love. Have you noticed that? That was the Pharisees. That's every Pharisee I've met since then. Some people think you can be holy without love. Have you noticed? Have you ever run into anybody like that? You know, I, I, I listen to their lovelessness and I slap them around and move on. Uh, that's a joke. I remember when I was an associate pastor at the Shenandoah Pentecostal Holiness Church. I spent seven years with the Pentecostals. And at the time, I was going to Eastern Mennonite Seminary. And while I was a seminary, I became good friends with an Ethiopian man named Melissa Wogu. He, too, was a student at Eastern Mennonite. And uh, uh, I think he is somewhere in Pennsylvania right now with a ministry of his own. I brought him to church with me on a regular basis to this little little Pentecostal holiness church in Shenandoah that had a population of about 500 people. And when I brought him to church, he kind of stuck out. He was not only the only person of color in church, he was probably the only person of color in the town. And I taught a Sunday school class, and there was a man in it named John. I'll call him John anyway. I've called him other things. And he was outraged. He was outraged. And he kept getting madder every week about me bringing Melissa to church. In fact, he said one day, he said right in front of the class, I was teaching about 20 people. He said, he asked me, and Melissa was there. He said, how many black churches did you have to pass before you brought him here? Why doesn't he go there? And I was young and smart-alecky, not mature and self-controlled like I am now. And I said, right back in front of everybody, how many white churches did you have to pass before you got here? Why don't you go to one of them? For some reason, this upset him. And he left the class. And he went right to the senior pastor. And the senior pastor was Ralph Green, who was one of the most godly men I know. He's gone to be with the Lord now. One of the joys of heaven will be running back into Ralph Green. And he said, you're letting this white kid teach Sunday school. And he's bringing a black guy with him. What are you going to let happen next in this church? And Ralph put his arms around John and smiled at him. And he said, the next thing I hope that happens in this church is you get right with Jesus. <laughs> and he said, he said, why don't we go to the altar and pray some of this meanness out of you? <laughs> uh, that didn't happen. <laughs> the thing that hit me most about John was that he was utterly religious. How ironic that this man thought he was holy. And you know why I thought he was holy? He never missed church. He tithed. He kept his little list of do's and don'ts, make sure he was living a holy life. 
but he physically abused his children. He emotionally abused his wife. And he was hateful to every pastor who had the misfortune of pastoring him. And he was a bigot. He was utterly religious and utterly hateful. There is no real holiness without love at its heart. How those two things get separated in some people's minds is beyond me. And it seemed to bother Jesus quite a bit too. How can you say God is love and you go around being hateful? Real holiness begins and ends with love. By the way, in the old holiness movement, you know, with, during the Second Great Awakening with the Wesleys, when they, said you, they, when they said, have you been filled with the Spirit? And if you had been, they called that experience being filled with perfect love. Perfect love. That's what Jesus said. You want the heart of holiness? I'll read it to you. When Jesus says, keep my commandments, if you love me, keep my commandments. And then he, start, he lists the main command in verse 12 of chapter 15. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love hath no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. That's the heart of holiness. God is calling us to holiness, the real kind, the kind that sets us free from the domination of all things that hurt us and deform our personalities, the kind that cares for refugees and strangers, the kind that visits the prisons, the kind that wants sanity and wholeness for us and our families. He wants to make us Fully alive. Isn't that what he said? I've come to bring you life and bring you life more abundant. He wants to make us fully alive. In fact, one of my favorite quotes is by Irenaeus from the second century who wrote, the glory of God is a human being fully alive. Does that sound bad to anybody? God wants to give us life, his life. He wants us to be our truest best selves as he makes us fully like Jesus he wants to make us beautiful like Jesus is beautiful. Let me ask you, is there anyone here today who wants to be less beautiful? Anyone who here wants to be less loving or less at peace or less joyful or less kind or less humble or less self-controlled? Is there anyone sitting there saying silently, I disagree. I want to be an arrogant horse's patoot. Help me, Lord. I want to be a jerk. I want to be narcissistic and selfish. I want to lose control and destroy my life and my family with the loss of control. Anybody feels that way, would you please stand? <laughs> I, I knew. Uh, if somebody stands, I would be the most shocked person in here. <laughs> Christ wants to set us free. And his love does just that. Because ultimate freedom is realizing I don't have to earn love or prove I deserve it. I don't have to be perfect because Jesus Christ is my perfection. Hallelujah. And once I get that freedom that I am loved forever as I am, that, that salvation is about connection, not perfection, 
It sets me free in other areas. Freedom like, I don't have to always have my own way. I don't have to be a slave to my own ego. Do you know how freeing that is if you don't have to get your way all the time? Another freedom. I don't have to play God anymore and try to be in control of things I can't control and worry myself sick. When you are worried sick about things you cannot control, it is your attempt to play God. I don't have to warp myself with sin and self-destructive addictions. Their power is broken. I don't have to be a slave to sin because I am a son of the Father in heaven. I am a brother of Jesus Christ and his friend, and I am a temple of the Holy Spirit. I am a God residence, and so are you. I am fully, fully into the family and community of the Trinity. It is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and us. We're in the family. No wonder Jesus Jesus said earlier in John, whom the Son sets free is free indeed. If you love me, keep my commandments. My only question that I leave you with today is, are you in love? Are you in love? Because if you're not, all the other stuff you're doing is a waste of time, according to the Word of God. You know? And again, I'm not trying to condemn anyone with that. I'm just trying to tell you that if you want a spiritual journey that means anything at all, your number one task is to get in a place and pray, whether it's over days or hours or what, you need to get in a place and pray what is keeping you from experiencing God's love. The old timers, now again, John will know this, the old timers used to call this praying through I didn't know it, but I was writing this sermon for you, John. (laughs) It's called praying through. And you know what praying through is? It was when the old timer said, I am not walking away from prayer until I hear from God, until I am touched by by God, until I'm filled by God's spirit, until I'm trained. This means too much to just do five minutes a day and stay shallow. What I'm talking about will not happen with five minutes of prayer or, you know, quickie prayers. You have to sit down and say, look, this is the priority of my life. I need to hear from God. And however you do that, you know, some of the old timers would pray six hours before they heard. Some people pray, you know, they, 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 they intensely prayed on retreats or, or they pray an hour a day till something came through. You know, all I'm, t- I don't know how much to tell you to pray. All I need, all I know is pray until you hear from God. Pray until his love becomes real. Pray until you know the spirit in your soul. Pray. And when you are touched by God, you will obey him because you will love him. And if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And if you do it backwards, you're just guaranteed misery. You're just guaranteed misery. Well, praise the Lord. I don't know if you got blessed, but I got blessed this morning preaching to John Haubecker. It was a... (laughs) I'd like you to bow your heads. Close your eyes.
And I want you to tell God where you really are this morning. And then I want you to listen. And I want you to decide what you're going to do about it. Lord Jesus, break through into our hearts. Teach us childlikeness. Lord, life teaches us to build many barriers to love, to be suspicious of it, to keep it at arm's length because we've been betrayed so many times often by the most important people in our lives. But Lord, don't let that stop us. Please don't let that stop us. Your love, the source of all love, is the only thing that can heal us. So help us not to reject it simply because other people betrayed us and betrayed what they should have done Heal us, Jesus. We come as we are, broken, skeptical, afraid, in pain. And Lord, we want to offer these things to you. But Lord, we can't get rid of those things. We can't get rid of our own barriers. You're going to have to come in through the cracks and through the side and over the top, or dig under. But Lord, we're open to you breaking through somehow. We cannot fix ourselves. We can't will our skepticism away. But at least we can say, we're open 
to you somehow getting through all that. And when it happens, we will believe. Lord, help us not to keep you at arm's length for a lifetime. Because, Lord, I know one of the things that it's, you know, I, I see so, too many people with a joyless obedience. Lord, give us back our joy. Give us back our souls. Lord, make what is in your word and what you say is real in this, wor- in this room right now. Make it real. Make yourself real. Lord, we come just as we are. And some of us have never felt your love, and some of us haven't felt it in a long time. Bless us anyway. Touch us anyway. Love us, love our barriers down anyway. We need you, Jesus. Especially, especially when we're pushing you away. We need you more than ever. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Lord Jesus. Help us to receive what you want to give so badly, what you died to give. In Jesus' name, amen. I'd like the worship team to come forward and we're going to sing a final song again. I want the intercessors to come forward.